0: Hi everyone, welcome to Sports Stories SS15, this is Lucas here with another guest, PhD student, university lecturer and CrossFit athlete, Vicky Myers. Hi Vicky, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. I'm happy about the introduction being a CrossFit athlete. <clears throat> of course, of course you <laughs> Thank
0: you for coming on, firstly. Um, and if you could just start off by telling everyone about yourself, so the people know how you ended up where you are now.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's. I think it's really important to kind of look at uh, people's like journeys and sporting journeys kind of help shape kind of who they are like characteristics they have um so it's quite an interesting question really but for me you know my sort of journey was uh my sporting career was from a really young age because I took part in, in gymnastics since so I was like six years old so it's one of those sports which you have to be really young to kind of start and it's mm-hmm. a um, the, the age is getting a little bit later now, um, but earlier on, you know, you're kind of starting from around six, seven years old, learning com- quite complicated movements and, you know, quite dangerous kind of uh, yeah, movements as well. So, yeah, like started with that. And then um, I finished my career at fourteen just due to like a height because I was quite tall compared to other people and it kind of didn't allow me to continue the sport on unfortunately but I was like I would it would be classed as like an elite standards um so that kind of was you know taught me a lot about dedication and commitment um although you don't really realize that at a young age it's kind of helped shape me kind of now um and then it it, yeah and then kind of like university um you know kind of college university kind of went through to more the athletics side and hockey um kind of whilst I was at doing my master's and did a bit of um Olympic weightlifting as well so kind of switched from like an individual sport to more like hockey based and team yeah. sports which was really interesting yeah like yourself you know like just playing a team sport is completely different um in yeah, terms definitely. of like pressure yeah uh but also the fun and the social side and so that helped shape as well so that was pretty good Mm. and then the last sort of three to four years um it took me a while to be converted to a crossfitter um (laughs) but I mean I'm sure lots of crossfit athletes will say the same thing um it takes takes a while so you kind of dip in and because I had a background in gymnastics and weightlifting it really helped prepare me for for CrossFit and um, the kind of the the aspects that, that it's, you know, the benefits that it sells and how good, the you know, the, I guess the social is, but also you with the like-minded people, yeah. um, similar sort of backgrounds, perhaps. It's also just at different, uh, you know, different levels and abilities. So mm-hmm. yeah, CrossFit for me for the last three years has been kind of, um, well, more competitively, trying to get more competitively um, in competing in teams. Um, however, now... I'm kind of doing CrossFit at the moment, but I am. Um, I'm going to be going on maternity leave soon, so I am yeah. expecting a baby. So yeah, it's, a, it's. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, so it's kind of like navigating CrossFit and still being able to train six days a week, but um, the affiliation they kind of have got some resources out there that you can follow. So it's quite good for other women in that position. Or who who are, are exercising um, you can still follow the similar programs so it's quite yeah, good yeah. for women yeah for women in general who where there is quite a lack of knowledge and lack of research around um take you know participating in sports um and exercise when you're pregnant so that's been a huge thing for me over the past sort a of few months of yeah. trying to navigate through that um but yeah, so that's kind of like my sporting stuff, uh, sporting side of me. The other stuff yeah. I'd say, like working inside. obviously you said I'm a lecturer at, at Leeds Beckett University. Um, I also am a chair of the Classification Advisory Group, which is part of International Rugby League. Um, and then I'm on the board for the uh, Rugby Football League. And with the kind of the... Classification side and looking at the PDRL, which is Physical Disability Rugby League. And obviously it's, it's part of the World Cup this year in October. So that's brilliant. And working on, you know, with other people, um, other, you know, very professional and, and, and knowledgeable people um from different sports like such as like golf um and athletics. Mm-hmm. We've kind of created a good classification system for this new um PDRL kind of world cup that's going to be going ahead. So yeah, there's been I've had quite a lot of experiences in multiple sports now i'd say mm. um you know post university post kind of masters post uh well coming up to kind of finishing phd i've had a lot of things going on and it's been great to learn about different sports different people and okay. um, different disciplines really so apart from that kind of really the only other things i would say during university was like um a bit of coaching as well so i've done some coaching at hockey camps in america and things like that so
0: you've it's a bit, a bit everything, really. And you, yeah, you touched I think, on coaching, you touched on playing, teaching, everything.
1: It's really just, I think you get opportunities. Sometimes Definitely. you just got to take them, even if you're not, I mean, I didn't know a great deal about rugby league before I even came to Leeds, you know, so it's something that you just got to take and run with. And and in the end, it kind of pays off for you and you get kind of really involved in, in other things, really. And they, as I say, it kind of teaches you
0: kind of take it in your stride and keep going with it yeah rather than stopping yeah
1: yeah
0: certain points so just quickly on on the crossfit so what what was it that that made you initially get into crossfit like because it's not a very big sport yeah so what made you go for it
1: so it was um it was all the friends so the friends did the sport um, and they were like you'd be really good at it because your gymnastics and your weightlifting background and I was like like oh I'm not so sure I feel like it's a bit of a cult (laughs) you know I'm not (laughs) I'm not so sure and it seems really difficult Um, I'm not sure if I've got the time or energy to invest in a sport like that so it was literally through direct you know just just friends who and and, and, yeah and if i went on holiday like there'd be crossfit gym boxes like all over like europe and america and everywhere so i started to do it just dropping into those kind of every now and again Mm. um and then i just committed to one gym um form leads in the city center and and just kind of haven't haven't looked back since that really um yeah so that's me for for crossfit and the once you start it, it's it's very very addictive. It's a great sport
0: because it kind of involves everything. Like you do a bit of running,
1: you do, do, you, do you do swimming and crossfit. Or? Yeah, yeah. There's like well, there's all sorts. of paddle paddleboard and kind of the swimming. Um, yeah, running. There's obviously all the ERG machines. So you got quite a lot of rowing and and but also like some of the, the areas of like lift, like weightlifting, like yeah. snatching, cleaning clean jerks. But you know you've got to be a good start. When you're getting like to higher up standards, you know you've got to have um good technique yeah. um I think there's a lot in the sport there's a lot of criticism around technique so it's about making sure the sport you know is is accountable for making people better at you know yeah. at the sport as well but also yeah there's such an, a big amount of, you know there's rope climbs and gymnastics there's like toast bar muscles you know um there's like burpees and box jumps and um everything else kind of uh in everything between training. so yeah um,
0: yeah it's, it's, like it's I said it's a great it's up and coming because obviously there's a the crossFit games that I've seen them for sure a lot of yeah. Of. so yeah, there's one main games in America,
1: yeah, in Madison and it's every year. They've also started releasing some documentaries all right Miles to Madison, which mm. promotes the the games, which they only did that, I think started that last year. So there's been quite a lot more hype around CrossFit recently the past year or two. Definitely. And there's some yeah better promotion of athletes and stories of I think stories is important isn't it when you're trying to sell a sport is, mm. um, but also how they they use everything through like YouTube as well has really helped develop their platform, um, mainly using like Facebook and YouTube originally to kind of pick the sport up, um, and then obviously the prize money has become bigger and greater now, so there's more interest from that side of it, and it's becoming more of a professionalized sport where athletes can now kind of give their jobs up and work and, and compete um, at different, you know, various different events across the year and they can make enough money for it. I think yeah, that was definitely. always part of it. But also there's, you know, kind of linking in my disability sports stuff is that there's an adaptive part and an adaptive division as well. Um,
0: Very inclusive.
1: It's quite an inclusive sport, yeah, yeah. I would say. And they, um, and the spectatorship for that is actually probably quite a bit higher than than other sports with disability, um, you know, perhaps such as golf, um, or tennis T- tennis is a little bit better obviously yeah. now more professionalized but in terms of lecture participation i know quite a few people locally who compete who are who are classes in it they call it the adaptive uh, division um right. it could be things like you know ms or it can be um a limb deficiency um or you know uh, but everyone vitamin.
0: can get involved is the key thing really yeah yeah yeah, yeah
1: absolutely and doesn't matter um, what age you are as well because there's a, quite a lot of uh, masters athletes as well um even into like the 60s 70s kind of age bracket really? uh which is yeah it's not really i mean there's masters golf isn't there and things like that but it's one of the sports i think that actually considers other categories older categories so it's not as ageist i guess
0: so, is there like a set setup? Do you get people like young children doing CrossFit or not? So, yeah, much?
1: they've only just started that past year or so of CrossFit kids. Kind of in the UK, I can only apply. Obviously, I can't talk about other countries um, yeah. and my experiences, of course, locally. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are CrossFit kids classes now that mm-hmm. start, and we're noticing in the games world well, the athletes are a lot younger that are able to qualify for the games. Um, so we've got yeah some really strong up and coming. Um, athletes that are like kind of 16 to 18 yeah, yeah. um and you're noticing them a lot more um but rather than like years ago it would be only kind of adults so and they're focusing a lot more on the kind of the the player development or the kind of player development pathway aren't they really and yeah. in their sport and trying to get more youngsters but I think it's a fine line between how much you put in with um younger athletes because it is such an intense sport it's also about a longevity plan isn't it of Mm. not getting injuries same with any sport you know but not getting injuries and trying to prevent those and also trying to manage that intensity of training for a young person
0: Weightlifting and stuff I guess is a bit more you have to be a bit more careful with younger younger people yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and it's all relative to age and ability so I think it's it's one of the sports where it's good to obviously of course to to start when you're young but also, they would encourage you to do various things like gymnastics and weightlifting as separate as well to build up that strength um, right. as you progress. So, whereas other sports they might catch you in and, and just keep you in that kind of player pathway, I think yeah. it's also important for CrossFit. People who want to do well in CrossFit would like Matt Fraser, obviously, he's like the champion, kind yeah, of yeah, still yeah. reigning champion year. And he, you know, he would advise, he came from a, back, um, a weightlifting background before CrossFit. And I think those sorts of things just really help get involved in the sport doesn't mean to say you don't ha- you can't do the sport itself but you know have it helps other you elements get a bit of a headway I guess yeah yeah mm. that gives you an advantage yeah definitely
0: um so just on your um back to speak about disability and stuff, that's what you're doing your PhD on right
1: yes yeah
0: could you tell tell us a bit about that speaking on disability and what have you found along the way
1: yeah so it'd be good to just kind of touch a bit on early on um like why I started to do a PhD guess on disability sport um so you know my my PhD is looking at and examining um, the landscape of sponsorship within elite disability sports and trying to get a feel of it's more qualitative so it's about kind of getting a perspective from the athlete's perspective of right. how are they experiencing um, sponsorship within disability sport and what are some of the benefits to sponsorship for them and what are some of the disadvantages and some of the negative aspects of it so really it was, it was early on it was like kind of post London 2012 and I, I kind of started to see the Paralymp- Paralympic sport um, in a new light because it was it had better promotion we had a really good vibe around uh, London and um, And there was the broadcasting was the coverage was was greater. Mm -hmm. So I I remember watching it and thinking, I really want to kind of look at that a little bit more really interested in I guess the range of disabled sports and athletes and the stories that they had to tell and I kind of found myself wanting to investigate that topic further so that's when an opportunity came up at Leeds Beckett University and I took that um, for a PhD around Paralympics well it's not necessarily Paralympic specific but it's elite disability sport <clears throat> so essentially I wanted to kind of link those two studies together because I'd already um, had an interest in a background in sport business and sport management because that was what my undergrad and master's was in so I wanted to try and link that with disability sports so that was where the idea of the PhD topic came from was to, you know to look at the sponsorship decision-making processes that happen within elite disability sport mm. um, and kind of I guess some of the things that I found really along the way um, I guess from my research up to date are that disabled athletes really need to be at the top of their performance in the sport that they're participating in Mm. um whatever that might be so they must be like kind of directly winning medals whereas you've got other athletes that are non-disabled let's say for instance you know um asaka who she's doing incredible things um in terms of racial um justice and other human rights um campaigns but and but she's not necessarily kind of winning every match she's obviously mm. earning more sponsorship money than Serena Williams um but you know so she's they're not necessarily at the top necessarily winning every single match or winning every tournament mm. and whereas what we found in the research that disabled athletes they really need to be successful so successful being the most important part and if they don't have that then they're probably less a lot less likely to um, achieve getting any sort of financial recognition in the form of sponsorship because it might be that we, we think sponsors are not recognising them as, as valuable properties or able to promote things as well if they're not <laughs> being recognised like at the top of their game. So we're just noticing a little bit of a shift there. Um, a couple of other things really and from the initial kind of results would be some athletes that, that kind of talk about how they don't get asked to participate in activation opportunities, which is really interesting because if you've got an athlete who's at the top of their game um who are not being asked to do any activation activities and are just given money like a financial backing let's say and mm. um, they're not expected to then go away and kind of leverage any of the sponsor benefits or anything like that um, they're not involved in any fan engagement activities um and that and that's that's recorded uh, occasionally within the research as well so that's quite interesting where you'd normally get with any non-disabled kind of high-performing athlete there is not a chance that a sponsor would not kind of want to um, take, you know, not want to take them forward in terms of creating some sort of activation opportunities.
0: So what, what, what would be activation? What, what sort of thing is?
1: Yeah. um, You know, we talked about like, you know, yes, you know, like, um, you know samsung do those they did that before the paralympic games like activate athletes they Mm. would do that with i guess with like a paralympic or an olympic event um where they might like sell their phones and feature the phones and have like comedians in joining the athletes you know taking part in the activities those sorts of things so just basically raising the profile of the athlete and the sponsor together so it's like a combined activity that they would do um and i guess as i say with with kind of non-disabled you'd never expect that to be the case where they would be involved and kind of as the sponsor would use them as much as they possibly could to get the kind of name their face associated with their sport their their product that they're selling or their product or their service that the sponsor's selling at that time um and that's where i think it's it's very different in terms of that not saying that you know a large proportion of the athletes kind of are being used in activation opportunities. Like some athletes provided with um, uh, like, if they're sponsored by a car manufacturer, they're given like cars and they're asked to do some sort of some level of promotion via social media, you know, like an advertisement via social media yeah. that's kind of like activation activity as well. Not saying that they don't do that a lot, but it's, um, it's often, you know, well, it's sometimes the case, whereas the, the sponsored, or the sponsor doesn't follow up as much with um, with that, um, and won't kind of like, you know, we t- we talk about return on investment, return on objectives. They don't necessarily call that return on investment as much as they would with the non-disabled athletes. So there's a little bit of differences in terms of like how they evaluate the sponsorship. Um, so we've noticed that as well within the research, um, and then and then kind of that is overrided really with this whole idea of that the funding that they get. So. So funding for sponsorship activities usually comes from kind of a, a CSR budget, not for marketing for disabled right. athletes, whereas for non-disabled, it's it would come out of their marketing budgets. You know, traditionally, your funding for sponsorship does come from a marketing budget. But what we're right. noticing with these disabled athletes is that it's actually the other way around. It's coming from a CSR budget, which obviously has a lot less money involved. Um, mm. So they can't offer the same amount of, of uh, financial investment to the athlete than the they would if, if it was a non-disabled athlete. Yeah, so, you know, and, and again, they're looking for the similar characteristics. They want sponsors, um, the kind of sponsors want athletes who kind of look good on camera, Um and a whole host of reasons behind that in terms of like how society views disabled people, things yeah. like that, who, you know, what, you know, it, can you tell that they are disabled in that way? Yeah. Um, you know, so these are some of the, I guess, some of the things that the research has, has drawn out, but it's not to say this is a representative sample of, everyone it's just the sample that I guess I found. I, I found um, and they want to see people who kind of who are disabled because then they can say you know we support a disabled athlete if, if an athlete doesn't look disabled um, some of them sometimes find it difficult to, to gain sponsorship um, because the, the message is more really difficult sane. to receive yeah, yeah difficult definitely. to receive by public audiences yeah. and sponsors want clarity um, it's a whole
0: lot of different problems I guess that you would come across there's with.
1: a lot and with... that's just the surface you know obviously they're just some of the key themes really that have come out um and will be explored kind of further later on in my research mm-hmm. um but it's just they're just kind of the interesting ones that kind of stand out and hopefully going forward it'll help create you know just some more knowledge to sponsors as well because I think a lot of it is you know, people that work in in sponsorship and who don't have direct contact with disabled athletes just don't necessarily know how to to market them as efficiently. You know, and I think if you'd ask some some sponsors, they would agree with that. Um,
0: do you think a lot of it's, it's to do with awareness as well? Like, because you mentioned things like um, not using athletes that don't look necessarily like they've got a disability, but obviously, I guess people and sponsors as well would need to understand that it's not just physical things or it's not just you know, it's, there's loads of there's a wide spectrum yes. of disabilities. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think when you, a lot when people of people get more aware of it and hmm. understanding it better.
1: I think yeah, I, I think you're right. With a lot of it is um, a lack of awareness from both public society or well, different perceptions about what disability is to them, mm. and also yeah, from a business perspective from sponsorship because it is relatively new. Um, it's becoming a lot better. We are noticing there are, being, you know, some of the positives. So, you know, we're noticing a lot more athletes are being sponsored. We're noticing a lot more sports are being sponsored. We're noticing that companies are now having to create an integrated CSR strategy. You know, and because of that, I guess it's kind of created a bit more hype around disabled athletes. So there's definitely positives, and the more and more coverage we get, we seem to be getting each year from the Paralympics as well as helping, um, and Channel Four and the sponsorships that they're doing with Allianz. Yeah. so all those things are really helping that sort of change awareness but you are right in terms of the differences between the visible disabilities and the invisible disabilities they're they're still challenging um uh, and yeah they're still challenging in their own rights really definitely
0: so do, do you think you can see disability sport kind of being on par with all the, the um, able-bodied sports that we see now or is it kind of a bit, a bit of a mountain to climb
1: yeah i think it's a really difficult question to answer, but. Yeah, I think that it's definitely, as as I say, as a a disabled community. I think, I mean, a larger proportion of disabled athletes would still say it's very unequal um, if we're representing their voices. Some would say um, it's getting um, a lot better in some sports, in particular like triathlon, because there's multiple events within one. Um, Tennis is also doing well because it's had some better forms of coverage over the last couple of years. Um, athletics have always done a lot. I've uh, always done well again, due to kind of more. It's all. It's all about how much coverage each sport yeah. gets. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. So you know, some, depending on which athlete you asked in which sport, um, but it's it's definitely improving and it has improved. It's just making sure it's it's doing it in a way that is right by the
0: athlete
1: mm. um, and disability as a whole. Um, and that's something that's quite a, a sensitive you know rightly so but right you know a sensitive kind of issue to, to mm-hmm. contend with well hopefully it can
0: keep building and I guess it'll be sport yes, by sport hopefully. rather than as a whole
1: yeah yeah hopefully it will it'll just naturally within this if the sports become better hopefully that'll just in, improve awareness in generally about about disabled people and their experiences in sport and um, more more generally yeah yeah
0: definitely um, just to go, just quickly go back to um, you and being a lecturer and a university lecturer, I've spoken to a few um, teachers and stuff on the podcast, but not a university lecturer. So how did you end up getting into that? And was there any other interests that you had?
1: Yeah, so um, after my undergraduate, I wanted to study a master's um, degree and I was offered some teaching hours during my master's. And I think that was the pinnacle moment for me where I decided that I wanted to become a lecturer, and not necessarily a, a teacher. So I was kind of torn between kind of going into like, Uh, primary school teaching or kind of adult yeah adult based kind of um higher education learning really so I was offered some yeah I was I was offered some some teaching hours at the university that I went to at UCLan in Preston um and that I was very fortunate to get those kind of just dealt mainly with um seminars with the odd odd lecture um thrown in there and it just gave me kind of a I was always quite good at presentations at uni I always quite enjoyed them um and you know I've always been quite like kind of driven in that way so I think just Mm -hmm. getting that experience and then matching my kind of personality it just it just seemed really kind of um fluid and and Yeah. yeah yeah and then it kind of stemmed from there really but once I did that, then I did, it, I did manage to get a job at, managed college, um, and that was working in the HE sector, so okay. although it was a college, it was the, they offered like HND programmes at the other universities at the time, um, so the students would do two years with those, and then one year at the university um, as, as the final year, and, mm. you know, that was just a really good experience, I was there for five years, um, you know, worked well with the sports teams and things like that and there was no real necessary um any sport specific but it was just bought you know sports management based uh, opportunities right. there and then obviously I got that job the the job at Leeds back at university with a PhD and I started as a a graduate teaching assistant um, and that was to do PhD most of the time and then one day teaching a week so that kind of eased me in really nicely for the first year I think it was Um, Mm. and then after that they offered me a kind of a fixed term year by year contract of uh, full-time teaching and PhD was part-time and I just really liked the balance of that and the lifestyle um but also it made me feel like I was part of the team a bit more um yeah so that's so that's kind of how I got into it um always having a sporting background I always knew I wanted to do something with sport and then just because I became more you know specific in my disciplines that I was studying at uni because I did sports studies at undergrad and then sports management at masters it kind of just fell into place quite naturally Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was really something
0: you can see yourself staying in or
1: Um, yeah i would like like to to i'd like to stay in it um but i'd also like to get the balance right between publishing you know research Mm. um, and also working in industry because i'm still managing to work in industry at the moment and it's just about balancing the amount of hours that you can do Mm. so so with university jobs are obviously quite flexible in terms of of course, you want the reputation of the university to kind of travel. So also doing some um, industry based work is is really important, not just for the brand of the university, but for the students yeah. as well. Yeah. And like trying yeah. to bring it into your teaching. Mm. Um, I think it's a, it's a win win and it's good for you as well to actually see what's going on in industry. Yeah. So I'd always like to keep that up. Um, and whether whatever kind of consultancy role that might be uh, with the rugby league or going forward maybe you know working with sponsors to try and create better sort of strategies for targeting disabled athletes and I guess maybe activation opportunities they could offer a disabled athletes, maybe working along that side as a consultant would be something I would like to do going forward in the future. With once I've got my PhD done, um, yeah. eventually, you know, hopefully in the next year and a half. And then I can concentrate, I guess, on using that research for a bit of impact rather than just creating a PhD and then kind of not really reporting anything afterwards. So, yeah, yeah that would be for me the next opportunity that I go for.
0: Okay. So obviously, we've, you played a lot of sport, like you mentioned earlier. Um, just generally speaking, how, what sort of difficulties have you faced like through sport, whether it's playing, coaching, lecturing, or what sort of difficulties have you faced?
1: With sport, um, I'd say probably the pressure of um, going back to being young and performing. I think... Yeah. That was huge anxiety, huge pressure um, and you feel pressure throughout your life, you know, at, at multiple points, but it, and Ooh. I guess it gives you a way to kind of deal with it as you get older and you get, you know, there's more, there's more severe issues that you have to deal with, like with research I'd say the hardest thing is um, taking a break after doing a master's going into going into working and teaching mm. and then coming back and doing a research project. I think it was getting my head back into how to write effectively, you know, yeah. um, how to collect data, all those things. I think I was quite apprehensive about. So for anyone thinking of the same thing, really, like, oh, well, I've taken some time out of industry or, or you know, thinking about going to do a master's or something like that, mm. you know, just. Don't worry about that because it will come naturally. It might take you like a month to kind of get to grips with what's going on. But I definitely found going from back from it like kind of an industry job to then a research job, the transition of that was, was quite difficult, settling in, understanding new processes, those sorts of things. And then with this, you know, sport, it's about balancing time. I'm sure you know about that as well. It it's like course, yeah. how do you keep up with your sport life and your academic life? Um, and personal life, really, yes, isn't it? And it's about kind people.
0: of the hardest part, really, is, is finding the balance, especially when you're not getting paid for it professionally. You kind of have to yeah. balance it
1: around every day life. You just doing it out of love and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah, the advice would be on just really understanding your time. Um, and time is the most valuable asset Definitely. you've got. You know, it really is. Um, so you use it wisely. Um, and, and yeah, and try and just do what you can, make sure it's got impact. Yeah, make sure it's just got impact the work that you're doing uh, along the, if it's an undergrad or it's a, a master's, mm. uh, I would just say get that, that right. Not saying that I've not failed and I've not been there myself of as course, an undergrad, yeah. but, you know, if you could kind of have your time again and go back and, and learn from those things that you've been doing. And I guess for me, it'd be like making sure like I could network enough, I could meet enough people, I could you know, connect, because the more people you know, the better opportunities you're going to have Absolutely. going forward. And you never know when you meet people again, you know, in different circumstances, you know. I've been to conferences in America, and I'm still keeping in touch with colleagues there. And, you know, there's opportunities in the future to write papers together. So it's it's about keeping your options open as well um, mm-hmm. along that. But, yeah, I would say those those two are the main sort of uh, challenges I've experienced going mm-hmm. into sport and research. Yeah. Absolutely. So just something that I ask
0: I ask all of my guests I've asked every single one would you say that sport defines you
1: um I probably would have said that before um now I've got a baby on the way sport does mm. not
0: there's more to it than it that does now.
1: it does not define me now i think mm. there's pro- other i think sport can define you depending on your priorities i think sport shaped me it doesn't define who i am i've got Definitely. multiple interests yeah and i think now with a baby it's so going I'm going to have different priorities and it's about how I navigate because sports a, a huge part of my life how do I navigate through you know being a parent and also giving myself the time to still play and be part of sport as a as an industry mm. I think it, it will always be in my life but I think when you're defined by something it kind of restricts you a little bit so you've got to try and be open with that and
0: that's a good one definitely yeah a lot of because I feel like with sport it kind of can like a, a lot of my guests have said similar things like it can take you down kind of any path you want to go down like you you can do sport and just be a coach you can do sport just for the social aspect you can mm. do sport and be a player but obviously like mm. you said it, it's at the end of the day it's not all about sport there is other things that go with it especially when you're not playing at, you know playing, you're not an athlete or a coach or whatever at the top level you've got many yeah. other things you to think about yeah
1: yeah it's quite a philosophical question isn't it to kind of answer really yeah like what defines what defines anyone that's really interesting and it's quite difficult to kind of answer really but yeah I would say it doesn't yeah it doesn't necessarily define me but it's it's a strong involvement in my life and it's a it's definitely shaped who I am today and I absolutely love sports of course
0: course. thank you very much well thank you very much no worries Um, I'm sure there'll there'll be a lot of people listening. It'll take a lot from what you said. Thank you for coming on. And everyone, thank you for listening. Um, Keep an eye on our Twitter and our Instagram page. um, There'll be more updates for what's coming. Thank you, Vicky, for coming on.
1: No worries. Thank you. Nice to speak to you. And you. Bye. Bye Bye.